dear Kamasi, I'm writing to you this morning from the space contained by my bedroom's four walls. For over a year, this room has been my world. Recently, I've been visited by waves of anxiety as I reckon with the new world awaiting us on the other side of this pandemic. What will this new world look like, live like, and sound like? What is the role of the artist in building this new world? How can we create the kind of art that is otherworldly in its aim, but keeps its feet firmly planted in our communities on earthly ground? How do we sonically imbue the world awaiting us with homage to our ancestral past while keeping an eye planted firmly on new futures? Like you, I'm trying to give this new world new sounds. Best, Adia Victoria. Welcome to Call and Response from Sono Sound System, the show about the communal spirit of music making and listening. I'm Adia Victoria. I'm a musician, a poet, and a writer based in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a Black woman from the Deep South, leaning into the blues to make sense of this world. Today on Call and Response, my interview with jazz saxophonist and composer Kamasi Washington. Kamasi is a bona fide jazz icon and visionary. He's someone who truly embodies the idea of music making as a communal act, collaborating with folks across the music industry and infusing his free-ranging Angelino jazz into rock and rap and beyond. You've likely seen his name in the liner notes of your favorite artist work, from Kendrick Lamar to Lauryn Hill, Shaka Khan, St. Vincent, and Snoop Dogg, to name just a few. I sat down with Kamasi to talk about his musical upbringing, creating in an unpredictable world, and the transcendent power of Black art. Y'all know by now that in each episode, I create a playlist that calls back to the conversation you're about to hear. Today's playlist features artists that trace the arc of Kamasi's work, like Art Blakey, Henry Mancini, Sun Ra, and Beyonce. You can hear that on Sonos Radio or over on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com Sonos. How are you, Kamasi? Good, good, good. How about you? I'm doing all right, all things considered. I've I've really been looking forward to this. I put your name down as a dark horse. I was like, ah, I don't know if he's going to do it, but uh, here you are. <laughs> <laughs> I like kind of going back, you know, and, and fleshing out a full picture when I talk to musicians, because so much happens in our formative years. Like, even if we're not playing music yet, I feel like we're collecting data and we're interpreting the world in preparation of this conversation with you, I've been reading quite a bit about you. And I, you said that the first song that you remember loving was the, the Pink Panther theme song. <laughs> I just got to ask you, like, can you walk me through, like, what was it about that song that touched Lil Kamasi? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, when I was around 11, I, I really started getting into jazz. My dad was, was a musician, you know, he's a jazz musician, so he was, he was always trying to get me into it. But you know, when you're a kid, you don't want to listen to the music that your parents are listening to. Right, <laughs> right, right. I don't know. I had no good reason to like it. It was just like that, that melody just stuck with me. 
on clarinet and yeah I and mean, that was part of the thing I think I think a lot of the songs I like back then were the songs that I could figure out that's right that's right I, I like what I what I can know yeah <laughs> but I had a cousin Lamar Vanskyver just, just, you know like you look up to your older brothers like my, my older brother's best friend I looked up to him when I was a kid it was like I want to hang out with them but they were like get out of here yeah but all of a sudden Lamar when he found out that I played clarinet and I could read music he was like oh yeah come over so you can play these songs for me. I'm trying to figure out. Little bit, little bit. <laughs> yeah, and then and then he was like, you know, he gave me this tape, and it was the Jazz Messengers that are Blakey. There was one song. It was it was a, it was one song that I recognized that Tri Call Quest had had sampled. I was just like, oh man, this is dope. But he was like, man, you should see if your daddy has any of these records. And then I went back home and I started going through all my dad's records. And he did. He had all of these records. So they were like packed up way in the back of the garage. And I was pulling them all out. And it was just like a whole new universe opened up for me. I love it. So when I went to find my voice on the instrument, I had all these different instruments to try. And I found the saxophone. And I was hooked. Right. You know? It was like, you know, it was it, music was it kind of consumed my whole being, you know, my my mom thought something was wrong with me. She thought I was depressed or something like that because I was just so focused on it and just, you know, practicing all day. I wasn't really going outside and playing and, you know, just my path was kind of always set out in front of me. And all I had to do was just keep going forward. You know, I, I can relate to that a lot, learning to play guitar. And, and my thing was the blues. And I remember how it, it located me, like it it found me. And, yeah. and I, I think a lot about, you know, you growing up uh, in the neighborhood that you grew up in. And I grew up in the deep south, South Carolina, in the mountains. And it's funny how that environment kind of pushed me to want to create my own world. Because I remember, you know, being young and seeing the news that was coming out of L.A. And it was just so, it seemed so dark and so scary. And, and you know, to think of like a kid out there that is creating art and he's giving deeper understanding and, and complexity to his hometown, where he's from, his environment. Like, I feel like that's what your art does. Like, it, it, it recontextualizes uh, Los Angeles. Like, it, it changes the way that we perceive, at least for me, the, the, the possibilities of, of what can come out of that environment. No, that's great. I mean, I mean yeah, because imagine, like, you're living in this place and you're watching the news and they're talking about it like, you know, you're going to die. It's like... Yeah, it's, it's it's a weird thing that when when someone tells you something in a certain way, right? Even if it's not true, you'll start to become that. Yes, and things will start to turn into that. And I remember watching the news and them saying like how dangerous my neighborhood was hmm? before it was really that dangerous. Right. <laughs> Darkness descends on Los Angeles, and the gangs and their guns hit the streets again. Shot in the leg, a gang member runs for his life. Gang members scatter. Like, I, I, it was so many cool people in my neighborhood that I grew up with, and, and all these characters I had in my memory. Yeah, some of them were kind of out there, but even the ones that, that were really like, out there, you know, they're human beings. You know what I mean? They're not like, they're not these character caricatures that they're set out to be in the news. And like, you know, and there were so many brilliant people, you know, in my neighborhood. And, and, and 
doing so many amazing things, you know, right. and, and, and not just in music and in sports. It's like people that were <laughs> amazing inventors and builders and people who are like historians who had a million books and all these different things. And, and, and so for me, it was like, I knew that I was a contradiction to that, yes. to that narrative. Yes. My whole life, I've been a contradiction to that narrative. Were you cognizant as a child, like what you were doing was pushing back on that dominant narrative that, you know, is so often when it comes to our communities from South Central LA to, you know, South Kakalat, the dominant narrative is so steeped in white supremacy. You know, it does, it does deny us our humanity. And I, I think about, you know, the communities of, of black folks, like after, after slavery, the first thing that we did was we started creating like crazy, you know, folks making the blues, you know, the way that the jazz, uh, jazz started taking off in, in New Orleans. Like it, it floors me and it humbles me to think of our ancestors. Like the first thing that they did was start expressing themselves in such, you know, avant-garde ways. Like they were inventing, they weren't just like learning the standards. Like they were inventing new ways to hold their guitar, to hold the horn, to have it interact with, you know, other instruments. Like I I think about black art as a way to transcend so much that is put upon us. Um you know what I'm saying? You, you feel yeah, me on absolutely. that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean I always tell the time, you know, it's almost like, you know, we we, we struggle with this reality because of uh, Almost semantics, right? You know what I mean, because it's, it's the notion of like, you know, white supremacy, and and, and 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 when you think about that word supremacy, it's like okay, that sounds like someone thinks that they're better than you. Yeah. And what it's really been about, and what I've always, what I realized really young was that like, oh, this is about dominance. This is about keeping people in a place that you want them to be. That's right. You know what I mean? Because if you can keep them in a place where you want them to be, then you can dominate them. You know, and so, you know, I learned pretty early on that like. Like I said, just to kind of keep on my journey. It's interesting, like, hearing you talk about that, I, I think that there would be, like, two ways that you could interpret that. Like, one, you're extremely tough. But the other way that I see it is a, a deep vulnerability. Because if you reject what the dominant culture tells you you are, or what your music sounds like, or what your art can be, well, then you also are taking on the the responsibility of creating a world to challenge that, that dominant narrative. And I, I think about, you know... The work that you've done with someone like Kendrick Lamar, like To Pimp a Butterfly. I remember where I was the first time that I, I heard uh, that record. We were on tour. Uh, we were in uh, Spokane, Washington, walking down the street, and we put on um, King Kunta. And I, I want to, I want to talk to you about like, how were you able to flip people's perceptions of of hip hop coming out of L- L.A. to push Kendrick into that new territory? Like you guys were making sounds that I'd never even heard before. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, that was a big learning experience for me. For me, was with Kendrick. You know, I always tell people all the time that like. You know, behind the veil in the music industry, we have this, like, sense of, like, this separation. Mm-hmm. But once you go behind the curtain, you know that, like, well, all types of musicians are making all types of music together. They all know each other. We all interacting. You know, when I grew up, you know, all the gospel musicians would come to the jazz jam sessions. All the jazz musicians were on, had church gigs. And, That's right. <laughs> you know, and everybody, was, everybody played R&B. Everybody was making beats. Everybody was doing everything. 
But then you have like this perception that like music is is contained within these very compartmentalized boxes. Right. That's not really the reality. But a reality that was true for me and a lot of musicians was that like when you came onto sessions, it was like this idea like don't give them too much, you know, because you give them too much, people get scared, you know, because they think you're gonna you know, quote-unquote, make it too jazzy or something like that. Right. You know, you can lose the gig. So you got to sneak that cool stuff in there. Yeah. <laughs> without them really knowing about it. <laughs> but what Kendrick did was that he told everybody the opposite. He told all of us, give me everything. That's right. Give me the whole thing. Throw <laughs> all the pieces, you know, you know, throw all the paint on the wall and then let me sort through it. So that record, I think, is, is so unique. It's so lush because Kendrick really let a bunch of artists who have a lot to give give everything right the ghost of mandela hope my flow stay propelling let these words be your earth and moon you consume every message as i leave this army make room for mistakes and depression and then he, his genius was to be able to refine to, to pull that around not necessarily thin it out but just round it out and then put something on top of it that was so beautiful and amazing that it stood out over all of that. That's you know, right. I think that as people study that record, it's going to be like, wow, that's a lot going on. It's a lot of harmonies and cadences and rhythms and changes and tempos and time. And, and, and like, it's it's a lot on that record. I hear something new every time I listen to it. I'm just like, oh, whoa. Like, listen to the way like that snare's popping off. Like, listen, you know, the way the ride is, is like faded. I just, I hear something new every single time. Those are my favorite records. Yeah, and he did something that we have been trying to do for a long time. There was a sound to L.A. It, it, people would say that, like, like that sound can't be commercially successful. Right. I know you that know, talk. Like, that, like, that, 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 that what y'all doing is too out, it's too weird, it's too strange, blah, blah, blah. Right. And... Kendrick tapped right into that. Yes. <laughs> and, and and the reality is, is that a lot of people had already tapped into it. Like, if you listen to a lot of Dre's records, Snoop's records, a lot of those records have a lot of that sound. You know why? Because we stay like Stacey 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That, that like, jazz, that L.A. kind of, like, horse taps got, you know, um, that... World stage, Billy Higgins, that whole sound is in a lot of records. It's just always in the back. That's right. Kendrick took that and put it in the front, and he just kind of like dispelled that myth that somehow this brand of music that's lush, that's full, that has dissonance, that has movement, and that has complexity can't be commercially successful. He, he just crushed that. Right. People have the freedom now to kind of do whatever they want to do. And I think that that's what Tempipa Butterfly really did. It opened the doors for like artists can say, I don't have to choose between being like successful and being free. That's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I can be both. I, I love the way that you guys coded, you know, his his lyrics, his bars in something new that you made, like a world that y'all created. I think that's so dope. Yeah, I mean, it was it was, um, it was definitely like a, a beautiful experience to have to be able to express yourself and feel like it's okay. You don't have to hide it. This quote that I found really beautiful that you you gave in an interview uh, a few years ago, you said, I like to live on that edge. I like a lot of insecurity and that feeling of not really knowing what's going to happen. 
I, I look at the world now with COVID and it's like, well, that's the whole world right now. Like nobody knows what's going to happen. And I'm curious, like, how have you been able to navigate this new experience? Like, how are you finding yourself in this moment musically? Um, it's very introspective, but it's it's hard, you know, because for me, like what I love most about music is connecting with people. A huge part of what I'm doing is, is just the interaction that when I play this and you play that and that's we do right. this like chain reaction. And having a whole year and a half go by with no chain reactions has been definitely very, 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 very difficult. I feel like when when that when those doors open, there's gonna be such a flood right. of, of creativity, <laughs> and and I'll be able to enjoy it so much. I think it's a, a really interesting time, like to imagine you know the future right now because it is so foreign. We have no idea what the other side of this is going to look like. And I I look back at times in our society that have been in great flux. I think about artists that have Mm -hmm. had to face these kind of challenges. Like I've been reading a lot about Sun Ra and, you know, him coming up from Birmingham, Alabama and going up to Chicago when the society was, was changing so much. And, you know, he stepped out there and he was like, I'm going to create new sounds. And he did, and it was weird, but beautiful. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly where I'm at. I mean, I can't really get to the world outside. That's right. way deep into the world inside. Yeah. You know. you know, like I named this podcast Call and Response, because for me, that's one of the most beautiful things about the blues is that you, you call out and the community responds to you and it, and it verifies who you are, it validates, it reinforces your place with your people and the culture. And... That's something that I felt so much with your music. Like I remember being on tour, we were driving through like the desert and we put on hub tones and I was just looking out at the desert. I think we were like driving through Tao in New Mexico. I was just like, this music sounds like this here, but it also sounds like home. And I also remember thinking, this also sounds like Center Man by Nina Simone. And it's this crazy thing of like, I think of black art. It's like, it's able to root you in the present. It's able to inform the present. It pulls into from your past, but it also offers you a possible future. It shares your experience. Yeah. And, and when you see that, I always say that, it's, it's an amazing thing that happens when, like, when, you, when, when, when you play music. It's such a personal experience. So like, you, know, you, you write a song, you play a song, you sing a song, and and you really are expressing something that happened to you personally. You know the the, the, the real good ones. You know, but when you listen to a song, you listen to a song someone wrote. You know, talking about the love of their life. You don't think about the love of their life. You That's think right. about the love of your life. <laughs> that song becomes yes. your experience. Their experience becomes your experience. You know, that's like almost like this, like the the root of empathy. You know, that's like the root of, like, togetherness. That feeling of, like, your path is also my path. Yes. That we're on the same journey. Like, oh, wow, we're on the same journey. That is, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Like, that's one of the most powerful things about music is that you can, and people can hear things in your music that you didn't even know. And you can realize, oh, wow, yeah, that's something that's in there, you know, and it's, like, it's powerful. My final question before I let you go, and thank you again for sharing space and time with me today. This has been a treat. Oh, yeah, same here. What song is giving you light right now? Mm. What song is giving me light right now? 
Out to Lunch by Eric Dolphy. Out to Lunch. Thank you so much, Mr. Washington. That was a delight. Oh, thank you, too. Yeah, same here, same here, same here. That was so much fun. My band's going to be jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all, that was Kamasi Washington. I think I'm going to be vibing on that conversation uh, for a little while. If you're not familiar with his work, I highly recommend picking up some sage, lighting it on fire, turn down the lights, light a candle, you know, burn a little something, something, pop on his album, Heaven and Earth, and just let him take you somewhere beyond where you're sitting at. I just, his music is, it's a spaceship. And I think that's most needed at times right now where we've all been locked inside. So go ahead and go on a little trip with Mr. Kamasi. I highly recommend it. Before I sign off, I want to challenge you guys the same way that Kamasi challenged me this week. I want to invite you to start asking yourself, what is my responsibility in the world that awaits us? We know that before times, they weren't perfect, and I don't want to fall prey to romanticizing the world that we left behind. I want us to expand our minds and start thinking about what does a world look like that we can be free in? How can we expand past what we've been taught we could do? And that's the power of art. That's the power of music. It takes you to a place beyond yourself. And artists like Kamasi Washington, they are a gift because they remind us that we are so much more than what we've been told we are. This has been Call and Response on Sono Sound System. Thank you all for joining us this week. Special thank you to Kamasi Washington for holding conversation with me and and taking me on a real ride. To hear all the music in the full version of this show, listen on Sonos Radio or find us at mixcloud.com slash Sonos. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you like this show, rate it and share it with your friends. Let us know what you like about the show. Let me know what music is meeting you in this moment. Hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Sonos Radio. I'm Adia Victoria across all social media. I'm all ears. This show is produced by Work by Work, Scott Newman, Gemma Rose Brown, Babette Thomas, Megan Lubin, and me, Adia Victoria. The show is mixed by Sam Baer. Extra gratitude to Joe Dawson and Sayeda Blount at Sonos. So until next time, you guys keep your heart and your ears wide open. Y'all be good. Mm-hmm.